sexual assault at UCSB and in Isla Vista is as prevalent today as it has been in the past. In this first episode of Beyond Timely Warnings, KCSB's Cecilia Aiden and Molly Wright address the history of sexual assault at UCSB over the past several years. They also go into how it's been handled by the university at large and the pattern of sexual assault on college campuses across the country. Good evening. You're listening to KCSB News, your local community radio news program from the Santa Barbara area. I'm Cecilia Aiden. And I'm Molly Wright. Tonight, we bring you the first episode of our new series, Beyond Timely Warnings, Exploring Sexual Assault at UC Santa Barbara. Warning, the content of the following radio episode contains information that may be triggering to survivors of sexual violence. After two years of remote learning at UCSB, there was a new desperation of those walking on campus in fall of 2021. Students went from the isolation of their own homes to being overwhelmed by large crowds and peer groups. Everything from before pre-pandemic life had picked up right where it left off, including the prevalence of sexual assaults. With the start of fall quarter, many reports of rape and sexual assault emerged, some of which were connected to UCSB's Greek life, according to the Daily Nexus. These crimes were announced through timely warnings, campus-wide emails that are sent out in regards to, quote, crimes that are determined to be a continuous threat to the campus community, end quote, according to UCSB. This includes sexual assault. As the Daily Nexus reported, UCSB released three timely warnings between October 4th and October 12th. UCPD Lieutenant Dan Wilson confirmed one of these timely warnings to be affiliated with Greek life. For each timely warning, the type and time of sexual assault was mentioned, but the location and identity of organizations or parties involved were withheld due to Title IX constraints. But these timely warnings never came with the follow-up email and seemed to leave more questions than answers. The sexual assaults of fall 2021 may come as a surprise to some, but this is nothing new to UCSB. The occurrence and reports of sexual assault have become a common pattern for the school. A case that reflects this culture of sexual assault is one that deeply shocked the school, producing both news coverage and an arrest, the gang rape near the rec center in 2014. According to the Santa Barbara Independence reporter, Kelsey Brugger, a UCSB student was walking with her boyfriend late at night when she became separated from him. In the few moments that she was alone, she was taken by three men and raped in the bushes. Not only did the school react publicly to the rape, but a rape kit revealed one of the men was named Daniel Chen, who was eventually arrested in 2016 after his DNA matched the sample, according to Kelsey Norp and Gwendolyn Wu, who were both student reporters at the bottom line at UCSB at the time. KCSB sat down with Gwendolyn Wu to talk more about the aftermath. I understand that that gang rape in particular started occurred in 2012. Did you feel like when you got to campus the university response to that gang rape was still like taking place because I did see that they like established lights. But was there an overall culture shift or did you feel like there was actual like some type of awareness outside of just consent awareness about like sexual assault in response to that? 
I feel like when I was there, a lot of the education that took place around sexual assault, around, um, you know, safety on campus and stuff like that was frequently student led. Um, You know, I think part of that might have been because I inhabited a lot of spaces where there was a lot of, you know, activism and awareness. Um, But at least for me, I remember, you know, there being like university announcements about organizations to address sexual violence or, you know, like Take Back the Night was another big one. Other organizations that were getting involved with it. Um, As far as what came from the actual, you know, university itself, it was always just like super, super bare bones. Like, you know, when you first reached out to me, I went back to start looking at, you know, what some of my like university alerts were like. And I found this one from 2015, where literally all that was sent out to students was date and time, early mornings of, you know, July something. And the incident, and I like just went and pulled this back up because I was like, I remember just how, I wouldn't say useless, but it felt kind of, you know, very bare bones was UCPD received a report of a sexual assault that occurred on campus property during the early morning hours of July 22nd, 2015. The suspect in this assault has not been identified. If you have information regarding this incident, please contact the UCSB police department. And I was like, this is super unhelpful. And to be fair, you know, when when we're talking about people who are survivors of sexual assault, they may not be willing to share some information, you know, especially if this might involve underage drinking or drug use or something like that. You know, people might not be aware of medical amnesty um, and stuff like that. But it really kind of stood out to me because I was like, you know, if this is a case where the survivor didn't feel comfortable sharing that information with law enforcement, well, that's going to have to be a culture shift on the part of an institution, right? But if that's all the information that they were willing to share and they actually had had more information than that, then I'm like, you know, why wouldn't it be useful to send this out to students? There's 20-something thousand undergrads and graduate students on UCSB's campus. And this could be any of them. It was just like shocking to me how little information there was um, other than pretty much just like, you know, call, call if you need a CSO to walk you home. Like, that's it. Is that all we get? Like, I don't know, just seemed kind of, um, kind of like, you know, we're leaving this in the hands of the students to actually do something about it. So would you say that the overall sentiment amongst the student population, particularly women and girls and women, people sexualized as women was very much like fend for yourself? I think that it was, it wasn't quite to that degree, but very much so, at least my, my perception was that students often knew what was best for other students. And it was kind of like, you know, you would kind of have to rely on your own support networks to really figure out, you know, how to stay safe and look out for each other on campus. In this sense, the gang rape case in 2014 was different from other crimes involving sexual violence at UCSB for a few reasons. For one, neither the survivor nor the rapists were intoxicated. This usually isn't the case for sexual assaults at UCSB, as many are associated with party culture. Secondly, at least one of the rapists was prosecuted or punished in some way. Most cases in the past have not received this type of attention or follow-up. The way the occurrence of sexual assaults was communicated to the student body in fall of 2021 through timely warnings with little to no follow-up, seems to follow university tradition. 2019 illustrated this trend, with its fall quarter being a hallmark of sexual assaults. 
Five occurred from the span of September to the end of October. The university released timely warnings that addressed three different sexual assaults, all of which took place on fraternity property during early October, according to the Daily Nexus. Shortly after these timely warnings, the Daily Nexus reported an additional two sexual assaults that happened within the same time frame. This time frame from September to October falls within what is referred to as the Red Zone, which we'll talk about more shortly. Students were outraged by the cascade of incidents that occurred in the Red Zone in 2019, particularly with the cases that included date rape drugs, were associated with Greek life, and had received very little consequences. The Daily Nexus noted that to many, much of the university's actions of social probation for a whole fraternity seemed like an arbitrary solution to such a violent crime. While one member of Sigma Pi was expelled from the fraternity due to being the perpetrator in two cases, that was the extent of action taken. An Associated Students Town Hall was organized in response to this, with the Daily Nexus reporting on the event, and campus organizations, SASA and RAD, emphasizing education and awareness as their main tool for prevention. University consequences seemed to be discussed only briefly, which left many unsatisfied. The results of the sexual assault reports of 2019 have yet to be released. This lack of support on an institutional level rings true at college campuses across the country. KCSB sat down to talk about this with someone whose career is largely rooted in supporting student survivors. My work focuses on um, advocating for, um, for student survivors and strong civil rights protections under Title IX against sex discrimination in education. Shawali Patel is the Director of Justice for Student Survivors and Senior Counsel at the National Women's Law Center. She's been in this role since 2018. We asked Patel what's being done on an institutional level to prevent sexual assaults and what universities could be doing better in terms of prevention. I mean, that is, that's a very important question because, um, you know, first of all, sexual assault on campuses is very pervasive. Um, you know, the studies have shown quite consistently for the past two decades that about one in five to one in four undergraduate women will experience sexual assault. Um, the latest from AAU in 2019 showed us one in 15 undergraduate men will experience it. Um, the numbers of victimization are really are higher for students who are LGBTQ, students of color, students with disabilities. So it's very pervasive and yet underreported. Um, you know, most don't even report what happened to them for various reasons and, and lose out on getting critical, um, supportive services, accommodations from their universities, from their institutions. Um, and a lot of it is, a lot of what we've seen, unfortunately, is, is schools have not been responding appropriately, which is one factor that, you know, some survivors think about when they decide whether or not to report, is whether or not they're at an institution that they know um, will take their report seriously. RAIN, um, the Rape Abuse and Incest National Network, um, states that sexual violence might occur at a higher rate at certain times of the year, um, with 50% of assaults taking place August to November. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that um, and maybe give some insight as to why that might be. Yeah, so that period from August to November before Thanksgiving break is called the red zone, and that's 
be the time when students are most vulnerable to experiencing sexual assault. And it's during their first year of college, so their first year students. Although during the pandemic, with a lot of students having spent their first year at home, um, you know, we've been hearing about this double red zone that has impacted first and second year students who at the same time were living on campus for the first time after returning from, I guess, the first year of the pandemic. We're still in it. Um, <clears throat> and this is a, a period that um, it's called the red zone because oftentimes when students are new to campus, they, um, you know, may be more pressured into attending parties and, um, you know, um, fraternity parties or, or other parties that where older students may tend to take advantage of younger students and the fact that they're, for many, it's the first time not living at home. Um, and would, uh, they're just more vulnerable to experiencing sexual assault. I think because of, because of the pressures from being new on campus, um, because of the fact that for many, this is their first time not living at home and that there are older students who are aware of that and who are pressuring or, or kind of, you know, putting these students in situations where, you know, they're invited to more parties, maybe providing them with um, more alcohol to get them to a level of intoxication um, where it would be impossible to consent, um, you know, it's a variety of reasons, but there is a, there is that period during those first few months um, where unfortunately there ha is an increase of risk of experiencing sexual assault. Um, so that is the, the red zone. The red zone is one of other patterns related to sexual assault seen on college campuses across the country. Patterns that are largely enabled by ambiguous policies that provide narrow definitions of sexual assault and harassment. In our next episode, we'll cover all things policy related to sexual assault from the university to national level. And that wraps up episode one of our series, Beyond Timely Warnings, Exploring Sexual Assault at UCSB. Later in this series, we'll be diving into other possible measures that could prevent the widespread occurrence of sexual assault at UCSB. Along with education surrounding the issue, university policy, the role that date rape drugs and Greek life play, and more in our next episodes. Thank you so much for listening. Up next, a peek behind the curtain of Beyond Timely Warnings, and why our reporters here at KCSB News feel compelled to discuss these difficult topics in depth. I just kind of wanted to talk about what brought me personally into the case, or not really case, but like the story. It's like my first year here in person, and we're going into fall, and all of a sudden it just seems like Sexual assault is all around me. I know people that have been sexually assaulted. I have to bring pepper spray to Del Playa. And then timely warnings start coming. And I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> like, what is going on? Why does this keep happening? And like, is anything happening? Because at least for me, I would get the sexual assault warning and I would be like, so where are we going with this? And like, I guess that was the bias for me is that I always like I want to see that a result of something happened. Like if we have a problem here, like what's being done? And I didn't know that much about policy coming into it. I just knew that the idea of like multiple sexual assaults happening in a month 
and the university knowing about it and then hearing nothing just sat really weird with me. How about you? For me, I became interested in reporting on sexual assault back when I read She Said, which is a book written by two New York Times reporters about Harvey Weinstein and the sexual abuse that occurred by him and at the hands of his production company, um, as far as I know. And so as a journalist, I became interested in it at that point. I think it's important to get people to understand like the long-lasting effects of sexual assault, whether it's on college campuses or anywhere else. Um, and so when coming to UCSB in the fall, um, I w- before I was even here, before I even moved, I was getting those timely warnings and they were so frequent, like they were back to back. And it really stood out to me because I was like, I haven't even like gotten there yet. Right. And I'm already like getting this glimpse into like what's sort of seems to be going on. And so um, that's kind of from like a journalistic perspective. But then on a personal level, I know many survivors of sexual assault and sexual abuse, sexual violence. Um, and I've seen, you know, firsthand like how life altering it can be and how Um, devastating and disruptive it can be to a person's life Um, and I really just want to look into it and shed light on the issue like it's your body like no one's allowed to touch you without your consent but watching the like emotional and energetic and financial toll that it takes on victims to really deal with a crime that they never brought upon themselves. That for me was when it like, it went from like being dug in my morals to being like a passion and being like, okay, like this can't keep happening, especially like going through college and like juggling everything and then trying to think about it was really hard. And at least for me coming here was kind of a culture shock because everyone acted like it was the norm. And it was like, oh, just like, (laughs) make sure you don't get drunk. Like, (laughs) make sure you're not alone. And it's like, wait, 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 wait a second. Like, I don't know. But the I was just like, I can't like, I don't want to fend for myself. Like, this shouldn't be like expected. It sounds like what really stood out to you is like the personal like it's it seems like it's like a personal responsibility. Like, oh, you shouldn't get drunk. You shouldn't wear certain clothes or you know like you know it falls on like the the survivors back to like be safe rather than like looking at like the culture and like you know thinking about what's wrong with it on that level and like what can we do to like change the community to make it a safer place instead of requiring that you know women don't go to parties or don't drink you know what I mean like yeah yeah and I also like I'm curious how your research went, but at least from my research, the more I researched, the more I, like, got confused because I was like, why why does the same pattern keep emerging? Like, why? It's been years, like, years of the same thing. It was the same, same thing for me, for sure, especially when I started looking into that handbook for policies, like, on Title IX and, like, just realizing, like, how ambiguous it was and, like, you can see how this pattern keeps being allowed to like continue throughout the years I think what can like shift that like looking at from like a preventative perspective like education and awareness like the kind of things that Sasa and Rad you know have advocated for in the past um that's really seems like the way to go along with you know university policy change as well I think another big aspect that we were looking at was like 
what does prevention really mean? And so this is this series is more of like um I, I would say a start to like thinking about it, like to get the ball rolling more than like an end. Yeah, a start to looking at like the intersections of sexual assault at UCSB and like all of the different elements that, you know, play a factor, like, you know, Greek life and policy, all of the things that we're looking at. I think for me, the biggest issue I had is like, I'm always like the change in the outcome are first, right? And like, with everything, I'm like, this is the outcome I want. Like, why doesn't it exist, right? Like, why don't I see people getting suspended from school? Why don't I see any punishment? And I went into the interview with the care director and <laughs> like, I, I was a little defeated because I was like, oh my God, it's so complicated. <laughs> like, you have national like policy and federal policy of like what is sexual assault what is like how much funding are we giving to it like who do we actually want to get per like punished and then you go to like a state level and you're dealing with state bureaucracy and then you get onto like the campus and you have title nine interacting with care interacting with ucpd interacting with sasa interacting with rad and so and then interacting with greek life too which is another element and so you get this like picture of like muddiness and bureaucratic just like ambiguity so you I like I left and I was like okay so like the result I want is not cut and dry and part of it is because like obviously survivors don't want to report um which is like no shame there like I totally like understand like it's still real if you don't report it's still everything if you don't report like you are totally valid in not reporting but um the like idea of just like crime punishment doesn't really exist in such um, an intimate crime and such a like psychological crime. And that was something for me where I had to take a step back and I was like, okay, maybe I want this for what I can like call justice, but not everyone sees justice the same way. And sometimes justice is just being able to heal on your own. That was Cecilia Aiden and Molly Wright with the first episode of Beyond Timely Warnings, a continuing series about sexual assault. The next episode will concern UCSB's university policy and will air in the coming weeks.